0: Eating real, non-processed food, the key to sustaining good health, but how do you do it? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth Candelario, who's from Demeter, which is the biodynamic certification agency in the United States, actually worldwide. And we're going to go into the history, which of course is from Rudolf Steiner, of what that is. So welcome. Thank, and thank you. you for joining us today.
1: It's nice to be here.
0: Okay, so why don't you uh, expand and enlighten us about biodynamic farming? That's a Their big topic. Yeah, it's a That's big, topic. A big so, topic. So you know, you're you're really one of the experts in the United States on that. Uh, and maybe actually, before we go there, why don't we go into your history? Because rather than it's, you know, I always find it's useful to understand the person's perspective and how they got into sure. this. So why don't you share with us and how you got interested? Because it's nothing. It's commonly uh, heard of even in the United States. That's right, so that's you've right. Got, I'm sure you got some interesting experiences on that.
1: Well, I spent most of my career in the wine industry. Mm-hmm. And I always say the wine industry is a little bit like eating sweets for dinner. It's really fun, but not very filling. And so once in a while, I would jump out of the wine industry and focus on nonprofit and projects that had a lot of strong social mission. Mm-hmm. But then I'd have to go back in the wine industry because I'd have to get insurance for my children or whatever, and I live right in the middle of wine country, so up in the Napa Valley, up in Sonoma County, yeah. Okay. And uh, I was working as marketing director for a winery in um, in Sonoma County, and we transitioned from conventional to biodynamic farming. What was happening? Right, a lot
0: of the wineries do that because it works.
1: That's right. I mean, it's not That's because right. they have
0: some prejudice or bias. It's, they do whatever works.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. Here in the United States, the wine industry was the early adopter mm-hmm. in biodynamic. Right. And uh, the reason for that was really twofold. One is winemakers couldn't help but notice that the best wines in the world were coming from biodynamic vineyards, mm-hmm. wineries like uh, Domaine, Romani Conti, Humbrich. Um, another reason is that a lot of wineries, at least back in the day, were family-owned. Mm-hmm. That's changing a lot right now. Just um, like the
0: traditional or con- farming community.
1: Exactly, and so you had uh, winery families that were interested in passing that winery down from one generation to the next. I mean, the best example of that is the Fry Vineyards up in Mendocino County, where they literally have four generations of uh, yeah, so it's family a long-term living
0: orientation, not Absolutely. short-term maximize the profits for this quarter.
1: That's right, and so they were really thinking about the ecological aspect of what they were doing and how they were farming. So the wine industry was really adopter, so it wasn't unique that the winery that I was working at chose. But we were doing a creek restoration on our property to restore the salmon and steelhead habitat. Mm. And we decided that there was a bit of a philosophical disconnect between that and not getting our organic certification. So we hired a consultant, Mm -hmm. and that consultant said to us, well, don't stop at organic, you should be biodynamic. And our response was, bio what? We didn't even know what it was. (laughs) And what year was that? That was, well, that was about 15 years ago. Okay, so not that long ago. Not that long ago.
0: This century. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So that that experience, I not only witnessed a transformation of the estate, but I also witnessed a transformation in the people that were working with it. It was, for me, emerging between my career in the wine industry and my interest in social mission.
0: So I didn't realize that you could apply biodynamic principles to creek restorations.
1: Well, watershed conservation
0: is, is one of the oh, core principles of biodynamics, did, absolutely. I never knew that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so thank you for that framework uh, mm-hmm. and how you came to this and you've been that that was when did you start actually going into being involved formally with the with Demeter Demeter Demeter,
1: Demeter, oh, it's, yeah, Demeter. A, it's Demeter in Europe and Demeter mostly right. here in the US
0: okay um, so they're both correct yes they both are
1: so I joined Demeter about 10 to almost 10 years ago okay mm-hmm.
0: after you had real-world experience with them for about five years five on the years. farm okay. Yep. how big was your farm is your
1: uh the, the estate, the wine estate was about ninety acres. Okay. So a mm-hmm.
0: substantial amount of land mm-hmm. to implement. So with that history, personal history, why don't we start to explain what Demeter is? Oh I'd and be happy to. Biodynamic principles. You know, however you want to do it, because there's a lot there.
1: It's a lifetime of study. Yes. But we'll try to condense it down. Sure. When I speak to people about biodynamic who aren't that familiar with it, I always like to start with a little history lesson Mm -hmm. because we are really well, you know, organic is well known in the US market. Biodynamic is a new concept. But if you trace both back, uh, you understand that they started at the same point in time as a response to the industrialization of agriculture. Mm So, uh, Rudolf Steiner was a polyglot. He was a very smart man. He was interested in economics, social systems. He's most known here in the U.S. as the founder of Waldorf Education, hmm. and towards the end of his life, he was approached by a group of farmers that were very hmm. concerned about what they were seeing on their farms, and this was back in the 1920, uh, 1920s. Oh,
0: okay.
1: And, uh, the so not
0: even 100 years?
1: No, a little over 90 years ago, mm-hmm. yep. Um, actually, the 100th anniversary will be in nine years. Yeah. And what was happening was, you know, really after World War One, chemical companies got very crafty repurposing nitrogen that had been mm-hmm. used to make bombs mm-hmm. as fertilizer and nerve gas as synthetic pesticides. And they had these stockpiles of these of these chemicals and realized that they had application on farms. Now, this was around the time of the industrialization mm-hmm. of, of uh, manufacturing, the manufacturing model, where the idea was that you wanted to produce the highest output at mm-hmm. the lowest cost. So it's not surprising that that kind of industrial view also influenced the way people started thinking about their farms. Mm-hmm. And you know, this idea of importing things from the outside, these natural resources to increase production, really mirrored that industrial model. But what was happening was that farmers were really beginning to notice that their seeds weren't germinating, their animals weren't as healthy, the food wasn't as good. And because of that, they approached Steiner and asked him for his perspective on what was happening on their farms. And he answered them in what is now referred to as the agriculture course or the spiritual renewal of agriculture. And what he basically so that's said. This course that he created. Yeah, it was a seven-day. It was a series of lectures he he delivered on a farm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, And they turn those lectures now. You can you can you can read the agriculture course. The, they transcribe those lectures, um, and they're and available no now YouTube in video English. Of it? <laughs> there's not a YouTube. There's a, a couple movies, but um, but what he said was really simple and quite revolutionary. He said, you need to stop thinking of your farms as factories and envision them as living organisms, Mm. self-contained, self-sustaining, following the cycles of nature and and able to create their own health and vitality out of the living dynamics of the farm. Mm. An interesting note is 17 years later, there was a gentleman in England named Lord Northbourne who wrote a beautiful book called Look to the Land. And in that book, he talked about um, chemical farming versus organic farming, coining the term organic from Steiner's view of the farm as organism. So again, if you go back in time far enough, you find that organic really is the, uh, b- that biodynamic is really the origin of organic farming.
0: Terrific, yes. <clears throat> That's, so it's all about bringing back the life to the soil and and avoiding the decimation of the topsoil. Uh, by you know, these synthetic fertilizers, these salts, which are toxic to microbial life. And uh, they do work the first time you use them, but they, it's just a progressive downhill decline after that. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell me how Demeter got started?
1: Well, that group of farmers that were lucky enough to be at Steiner's original, Lectures. How many
0: people, how many farmers were there?
1: Boy, that's a good question. I don't think I can tell you that off the Probably top under of my 100. head. Oh, I think there was maybe maybe twenty. Yeah, you know, there weren't there
0: weren't a lot. I remember one of the most instrumental presentations I ever attended in 1995. Dr. Ron Rose, helped inspire and helped me understand the importance of insulin to basic physiology. And there was mm-hmm. there was literally 20 physicians there. It was crazy. Oh, and I, so it's, it's these key landmark presentations, it's, it, interestingly, are not attended by many people.
1: I think so. And he died prematurely a year later. He wow. And I so had no idea. Yeah, so it was
0: right before the end of his life. It was
1: one of the last, last subjects that he really tackled before wow. he died.
0: Did did he study it quite a bit, or is it just come like, because he was a polyglot, it just rolled off the tip of his tongue and he kind of understood it and just...
1: Well, he was a leading expert on Goethe. He understood natural systems and Mm. biological systems, Uh, and he really applied that perspective to agriculture. So I don't think it was a big leap. I think he was very influenced by peasant agriculture and thinking from other people in India and other places around the world. He traveled to India? I don't know that he traveled there, but I know that he was influenced. Um, But that group of farmers actually got together after the agriculture course Mm -hmm. and decided that what he had talked about was so important that they wanted to codify it in an agricultural standard. And what's really remarkable is they wanted to ensure that that standard maintained its integrity in the marketplace uh, by developing a strict certification program. So that that uh, Demeter was formed in 1928 and remains the oldest ecological uh, uh, certification organization and in the world. Where was it? It
0: was formed in Europe. It was, was formed so in Europe in Germany? Central Europe in Germany. Germany. Okay. Yeah.
1: So isn't that remarkable? I mean, imagine that an eco label back in 1928.
0: Yes, and they actually had a formal certification process with a label that they yes. would, could stamp if they wanted to on their product. Absolutely. Wow. And is this well-known? And now De- De- Demeter, Demeter in Europe, mm-hmm. the way it's pronounced, is that certification well-recognized within the European population? Certainly,
1: and especially in Central Europe. Um, in Germany, there are 10% of the organic farmland is biodynamic. Wow. There are thousands of products in the marketplace, and um, there's even Demeter stores.
0: Yeah. Well, just to let you know, you probably know, but let's, let our viewers know, is that we fully embrace this concept and are in the process of converting most of our products from organic to biodynamically certified and uh, and locating of the sources of the raw materials to do that because there are, they do exist and a lot of them aren't in the United States yet, but the, it's a slow process of conversion.
1: We're so happy to have Dr. Mercola products. We're so excited about it and also to you have such a great following and to be able to really help educate uh, the folks that, that follow you to know what, what biodynamic is. Uh, why they should care about it and why they should support these products and ultimately these farmers by purchasing them. And I just want to say that one of the products that you're going to be releasing in the fall comes from an uh, Egyptian farm called Saqam. And Saqam just celebrated their 40th anniversary. Their commitment to social mission is incredible. Mm. And so really excited to share more about that. that. that is well. uh,
0: that a common trait among biodynamically certified Organizations that they have a social purpose, so mm. it's not just about selling a product. There's a there's a uh, an underlying motivation for that.
1: You know, there isn't a fair trade type of mm. requirement built into the Demeter standard yet. Mm. Although, Dem with our colleagues around the world, that's definitely in discussion. Mm. But you find because of the values that are just implicit in biodynamic agriculture that the resulting there, you see lots of examples of projects that have a huge social mission component.
0: <clears throat> well, let's make the transition to help our viewers understand why they should be excited about mm-hmm. We've given them the history, mm-hmm. but we never really told them what that results in. I mean, they can kind of guess it's going to be a higher quality, right. more nutrient-dense food, but uh, maybe you can expand on that.
1: I'd love to. I think a lo- easy way to talk to people about <clears throat> what biodynamic is to, is to kind of think of it in the context of organic. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we really focus is on, on the standard itself, what is required by the NOP, the National Organic Program, for a product or a farm to be labeled organic versus what's required from Demeter to label a farmer product as biodynamic. Mm-hmm. And I want to emphasize there are many, many farmers that go above and beyond what's the basic requirements for, a, for to, to label organic. Mm-hmm. Um, But really, where organic is really about what you don't do. Mm -hmm. You know, in organic, you don't use synthetic fertilizers or pesticides, (coughs) you don't use GMO seed, you do everything you can to avoid GMO contamination. No sewer sludge on a farm, no (coughs) irradiation of products. What's happening with the burgeoning interest in organic, which is a really good thing, is there's a lot of pressure on that standard, so that you'll have products coming into the market that do the base minimum of what is required, sitting right next to another product uh, that's also labeled organic that does much much more. Yeah, and it's that's almost become
0: meaningless because of the perversion and the degradation of the quality and. and some of these companies or farms just finding loopholes, essentially, that, don't make, that actually make it is just as bad as conventionally grown food.
1: I think there's a lot of pressure on the organic standard because of the huge interest in the marketplace and brands that wanna do the base minimum to be able to label
0: organic. because yeah. um, they can get more income for it, more, re- more revenue. Right.
1: So biodynamics fu- fundamentally maintains that core principle of the farm as a living organism. So we start by saying that the organic standard is the base to the Demeter standard. If a farm is Demeter certified, it means that it's met the organic standard, even if it's not certified organic. But then the standard is much broader, maintaining that idea of the farm as a closed system. You look for solutions to disease, pest, and weed control to come out of the farm system itself. In organic, you can have a 1,000-acre conventional farm and not use those prohibited materials in 10 acres and get that 10-acre certified organic. In biodynamic, again, the farm is an integrated living organism. The entire farm needs to be certified. 10% of that farmland needs to be set aside in biodiversity. So that can be naturally occurring, like oak groves or waterways, or it can be created through uh, insectaries, hedgerows. As I said, you know, a farmer, a biodynamic farmer, when they're having a fertility issue, in conventional farming, a conventional farmer might say, okay, well, let's just bring in those synthetic fertilizers. An organic farmer might say, well, let me look and see what organic fertilizers I can bring into the farm. Well that's a step better, Mm -hmm. but you're still mining a natural resource and importing it to the farm. A biodynamic farmer is going to say, what is it about my farm system that isn't capable of delivering the fertility that my, that my crops need? And so they answer that from a biodynamic tool, toolbox, which may be uh, green manures, composting, cover cropping, incorporating animals. So the, the mindset is, is quite different. There's eight biodynamic preparations. They're made from uh, materials that a farmer can find on the farm, and they're used as compost amendments, uh, foliar sprays, and soil amendments. Mm -hmm. And um, in organic, there's just one processing standard for all products. Mm -hmm. In biodynamic, there's 16 processing standards. The intention is to allow the integrity of the agricultural ingredients to define the finished product so, you have high content of biodynamic ingredients with minimal processing. It's a real foodie standard.
0: So, I just got back from uh, Gabe Brown's farm in Bismarck, North Dakota, who's one of the leading pioneers in the United States of regenerative agriculture and helping motivate and catalyze the transformation of conventionally, conventional farmers to what he's doing, which is quite magnificent. It sounds very similar to, to the uh, biodynamic standards. Uh, he has Basically, it imports uses the green green manure cover crops and wide diversities and integrates holistic herd management into the system. And he has about a thousand head of cattle, and sheep, and chickens, and hogs. Uh, so I'm wondering: is is integration of the animals into is part of the standard? If you don't have the animal integration, it's, it can't become biodynamically certified.
1: Having animals on a farm is core to the principle of a biodynamic farm. But also core to the principle of a biodynamic farm is animal welfare. Mm -hmm. So while there is a requirement for farms to have animals, we do create exemptions for farms that don't have the wherewithal for Mm -hmm. whatever reason to have animals. What we do find in biodynamic, because it's really about a path of continual improvement towards this ideal of a closed system that's Mm -hmm. never really met is that farms that start out without having animals often over a period of time will gain the confidence and the infrastructure that will allow them to bring animals into the farm
0: system. Especially especially for large uh, parcels of property, it seems to be the wisest strategy. And it becomes very, very difficult to achieve that optimized um, soil structure without the integration of uh, herbivores into the system uh, and you can, it's, it's such a dramatic difference. I mean, I just got back a few days ago to, to witness it and, and see areas where, the, where the, the animals weren't integrated and see what happens to the property when you are. It's just this, it's almost a magical transformation. It really is. Yeah. So
1: Above the ground and below the ground.
0: Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, because you can see it in the life. And it's uh, interesting because Gabe's farm was in the middle of a lot of other conventional farms. And he would tell me that the deer would only come to his property to eat. <laughs> And they would avoid all the GMO corn. And you could see 60, 70 deer walking across this property, you know, and they'd just stay away from the other properties. So. Which is have. a problem because, you know, I'm sure. they, you know, they have to take, they have, but, you know, it's okay to feed some deer. So um, how difficult is the, the certification process? And is it very costly? Or, I mean, what, what does it involve for, mm-hmm. for people who are interested? Is there a minimum amount of property that's required?
1: Nope. Um, in fact, at our little house in downtown Healdsburg, California, we have just a typical little lot. And if we wanted to get our house certified, we could because we definitely meet the standard in our own little backyard. Oh, so there is no size. And that goes the other way. Some of the largest biodynamic farms in the world are these massive tea plantations in India. So scale is not an issue either. Even how though many some acres? people like will 10, say 000, that. 20,000? Yes, yeah. So, um, the largest biodynamic farm in the U.S. at this point is almost, well, it's over, we have two that are over, three farms that I can think of off the top of my head that are over a thousand acres. Um, The certification process itself is very similar to organic. There is a base standard that needs to be met. Um, A farm or a brand that wants to get a certified product submits an application. There is an inspection of the farm or the processing facility that takes place uh, to ensure that the standard was met, and that takes place every year. Mm-hmm. The cost is very similar to organic.
0: Now, approximately what are the costs involved?
1: Well, there is the certification or application cost, mm-hmm. which can be $250 to $750. Okay, so, relatively about.
0: minor.
1: Yeah. And then the inspection. And again, we try to pool multiple inspections in one geographic area. so that the, the members can take advantage of of the sharing the
0: costs of an inspector coming to visit. Good. Okay. So I, I, the reason I'm asking is I'm particularly curious because I just purchased a vacant lot next door to me and I'm in the mm-hmm. process, I'm especially after coming back from Gay's Farm, of absolutely inspired to create the highest quality possible piece of land as an experiment, you know, mm-hmm. and I've got the resources to do it and, and networked into the community. So I'm gonna I'm definitely going to get it certified. So
1: we would be so honored to yeah. have your farm certified. I would, what,
0: well, I not would- Well, like, it's my house. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, just, it's, like the, it's yeah. an acre next to mine, so it's just part of the property, so.
1: Yeah. Um. And the standard, the Demeter standard is a beautiful agronomic document that can teach anybody who wants to farm better how to go about doing that. So whether one ultimately chooses to get certified or not, that's a beautiful resource that's been basically given to humanity by Dr. Steiner. And
0: how could one review this if they were interested?
1: They just go to the Demeter website, it's demeter-usa.org. And we have a section called For Farmers, and the standards are
0: listed there. And for those who might be phonetically challenged, Demeter or Demeter is D-E-M-E-T-E-R. Correct. Hyphen, USA, no periods, no dots, dot O-R-G. Correct. All right, good. And I'm sure there's some other good resources there. There sure are. But the prop would there be a list of the Farms that are certified.
1: We actually thank you so much for asking. We have a directory of every certified biodynamic farm and brand in the U.S., and that's on our website. And you can also find that at biodynamicfood.org.
0: No, so you have two. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, is what has uh, been the interest in biodynamic? Has it been exploding exponentially, or uh, you know, what's that status? And if it's been increasing, what do you believe is responsible for that?
1: Well, I wish I could say that it's exploding, but I will tell you that it's really hard when you're a small agricultural nonprofit Mm -hmm. to really do the work of educating the entire marketplace of the United States. And uh, we actually have a sister organization, the Biodynamic Association. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of education as well. Are
0: they US-based too?
1: Yeah, US-based, but that's also an international organization, Biodynamic Association. And, you know, what happened was, as I mentioned, the wine industry was the early adopter. Mm -hmm. And over the course of 15 years, we we have now over 80 certified vineyards and wineries in the U.S., third in the world after France and Italy. But there weren't products in the national marketplace. The Most of our other members were small family farms selling locally and regionally. The CSA movement, in large part in the U.S., grew out of the biodynamic movement here. I did
0: not know that. Mm -hmm.
1: But... um, really you know there weren't products in the national marketplace and that was a real challenge for us because we had media contacting us saying, you know, Elizabeth, I'd love to write a story about biodynamic, but what other products in the national marketplace are out there? And there weren't any. Mm -hmm. So we realized that we really needed to focus on getting some national brands to get products in the market uh, so that we could use those products to educate consumers. And therein lies a bit of a catch-22, because I like to say it took the organic industry 35 years to get where we are today. we're not nearly that patient at Demeter. So we worked in tandem with Whole Foods starting five, five years ago um, to really choose companies, brands that were values aligned, ecological farming, uh, philanthropic in their communities, really intimately uh, concerned about product quality and approach them to say, would you consider bringing these biodynamic products into the market before consumers even know what it is? And it's a wonderful story because we now have 25, some of the leading national brands soon to be joined by you as well, like uh, Lundberg Family Farms, Mm -hmm. Lakewood Juice, uh, the Republic of Tea, um, that have worked really hard and uh, invested a lot to bring these products into the market. And so I would say that the Supply chain mm-hmm. understands biodynamic. The brands that we've talked to, the retailers, other important players, but that we're just on the yeah. verge of really doing the consumer education that we need to
0: do. Yeah. So the key and the intention of this interview, and is to help you understand this and to recognize the importance of that seal or that certification label, which we'll put on this article. So that, that that's going to be the new gold or actually platinum standard for, for high quality nutrient-dense food. So that's what you're going to be seeking to find. And uh, you know we're absolutely committed to informing the public about this, and I think we can catalyze and accelerate the adoption process. But now I'm wondering if one of the strategies is to target specific producers who are already organic, and convince them, and if, what you know, what's going on in that area, because it seemed like that would be a critical part of the the process of increasing the number of products.
1: It's so critical, Dr. McCullough, and actually, you referenced it earlier. A lot of the products that are in the market right now are using ingredients that we've sourced from around the world because mm-hmm. as we said, you know, the European market is a much more mature market. You have uh, communities like Sakem in Egypt that have been there for a long time where we're able to source ingredients, but ultimately we want a lot of these ingredients to come right from the US because at the end of the day, that's the that's the notion that our vision at Demeter is to heal the planet through agriculture. Mm-hmm. And we do that through through transitioning agriculture from conventional to organic and ultimately to biodynamics so the beautiful strategy here is that you're really using the marketplace to drive the adoption of biodynamic on the farm Mm -hmm. and that's where our big challenge is right now how do we get to talk with farmers that you know really want to keep moving the needle towards a more regenerative uh, standard like biodynamic
0: yeah so I think part of the process is clearer from my perspective is to is to connect a network with the resources out there that have been used for a while like acres and Gabe Brown a lot of the other leaders who are actually doing this already even though they're not formally certified and I'm actually quite surprised that there aren't much larger farms because a thousand acres is is certainly a big piece of property but you know it's a relatively small farm Mm -hmm. as farms go you know most of the farms I visited are several thousand acres and Gabe was farming 5,000 so and you know what strikes me, too, because I'm flying home from Gabe's, from Bismarck to Chicago, and you look out the window. I, I happen to be one of those rare conditions where I had a window seat, because I typically take the aisle. And you just look down, and it's just like all farmland from there to Chicago. And you know, every one of those are almost, 99% of them are farming the wrong way, destroying the topsoil, so ruining the... Potential to grow anything close to food that would sustain us as a species, mm-hmm. so it, it you know it brings a tear to your eye when you think about it. All the potential there, and we are just on the beginning cusp of starting to catalyze this trans- this necessary transformation. You know, he he started 91 years ago, but we've got a lot of work to do.
1: We really do, and if you don't mind me getting on my soapbox yeah, right now, yeah, please do. You know. Um, Paul Hawken just wrote a book called Drawdown. I really recommend it. And in that book he really and how do you spell his last name Hawken H A W K I N. just like it sounds. And in that book he talks about, you know, in order to address climate change we need to do two things. We need to address emissions, that is the burning of fossil fuels, the agricultural activities that actually release carbon into the air. But the other half of the equation is we have to sequester, we have to pull that excess carbon that's in the air back
0: down into the soil. Which is probably a more important variable in the equation. It absolutely burning, is. Uh, you know, it's really, it's not the burning of fossil fuels and people get really annoyed. A lot of people, probably the majority of the population get annoyed thinking that they are oh they're, the, 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 the media is pointing the finger at them because they're using a, 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 a combustion engine to burn gas when actually that's part of the problem but it's a relatively minor part. it's, it's commercial agriculture that's, that's doing the damage.
1: Well and there's so much focus on emissions and you saw that after Trump pulled us out of Paris um, where all these companies it was quite heartening actually states, cities, Um, And industry leaders came out and said, you know, we're going to double down, but all the conversation was around emissions, which is important. It's very, very important. But the other half of the equation is we need to sequester carbon. And guess what happens when we pull carbon out of the air? it happens every day when the sun is shining that's what photosynthesis does it takes that carbon from the air and pushes it down into the soil so not only are we sequestering carbon we're making more healthy and nutritious food
0: and so, well, but not when it's done in conventional methods. At least, not hardly at all. I mean, it's just like an order or two of magnitude below what the potential could be if you, if you integrate these principles.
1: Well, that's that's what I'm saying. In conventional, it doesn't they, sequestering carbon doesn't happen because conventional fertilizers stop that process. Mm-hmm. where the plant is uh, basically rewarded by the microbiota mm-hmm. in the soil to pull that carbon out of the air. There synthetic fertilizers kill the microbiota in the soil. And so you don't have that carbon drawdown that you're looking for in conventional agriculture. And by definition, the more carbon you put in the soil, the more you're building your soil, the more you're building a resi- resilient soil, you're building a, a water uh, conservation soil, and you're building f- uh, the potential to have incredibly healthy food. Yeah, and, food. and a
0: typical measurement of that, because you can actually measure this in a lab, you can send your dirt out or soil, Mm -hmm. actually, didn't be analyzed, would be organic content. And most farms are running organic contents below 2%, whereas ideal in a virgin Midwestern prairie with all the bison and buffalo going around and having tens of thousands of years of grasses growing and being trampled and doing this holistic herd management. Actually, it's not management, it's done naturally. Uh, Was about eight percent seven eight percent right and and so you could get that done at a lap But you or you can look at the soil you can break it up and if it's dark deep black rich and smells good That's good soil and it's probably close to eight percent if it's that dark black because carbons black
1: There's a wonderful initiative that started in France kind of uh, at the same time the Paris uh, talks were going on and the idea is they did the math and they they found that if we increased the carbon in other words, the organic matter and soil and all the agricultural land around the world by just 0.4 percent, four tenths percent climate change, global warming would stop yeah. because so much carbon I no would be drawn out. Yeah. It's it, called the point four percent initiative. That's and
0: crazy because mm-hmm. it's so easy to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and literally relatively rapidly, you can do this if you just stop tilling the soil like most. And there's a pretty good movement against that now. But but they're still using these synthetic fertilizers was killing the life in the soil. So, wow, that's, that, that's, that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. It's definitely encouraging. You know, I still am not really well-versed in the, all the principles of biodynamic and I, I definitely want to review that course uh how many pages is it if it's is the it, demeter's it's like a thousand <laughs> no 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 it's not at all it's well the probably, course that he did and oh you know, the agriculture course yes
1: yes and it's very heady reading i i've read it twice now almost three times and i've done it with a reading group okay but
0: but how many pages
1: um hundreds it's hundreds is of. it pages. under a thousand yes it's definitely under okay a thousand. yeah because
0: i read about 200 books a year or so Wow, that, that's you know that's I, could di- I could digest that if it's it's a lot of them are easy when you're reading health books you know it, the sad reality of life I guess it's not just related to the health field but certainly in the health field because that's the one I concentrate on and focus is there are very few innovators very few uh, most of these people are just rewriting what other people have done Steiner was an innovator mm-hmm. you know so it's hard to read innovators materials because it's all new it's like and you have to wrap your head around it, but these other people books, you can read them like in an hour, an hour and a half, and it's done because there's nothing new there. Mm-hmm. I mean, a bit, maybe a few little twists, but hardly anything new. So anyway, I look forward to, to digesting that um, and embracing it because I, I definitely, my property's gonna be certified, Demeter, Demeter certified. <laughs> so, uh, But I'm confused about some of these amendments, and it looks kind of, Mystical and almost woo-woo. Yes. You know, uh, so I think we should address that because I suspect many people have heard of these. And is this an absolute requirement to integrate this? And Mm -hmm. and how do you do that? Because I know a lot of these involve animal products. You know, the one that brings that comes to mind, and I think that many people have heard of is the cow dung and the bull's horn, and to bury it at some phase Mm -hmm. of the moon. Right. Yeah. So so that sounds pretty woo-woo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, there's no way you can dispute that. So why don't you, uh, but obviously there's some support and it seems to work, And but why don't you comment on those types sure. of amendments? Sure.
1: Yeah. So first of all, the, the use of the biodynamic preparations is a requirement of the Demeter Standard. Okay. And I often say that if one reads the Demeter Standard, there's no place in that standard what that reasonable people will disagree about because mm-hmm. it's such a strong agronomic standard except potentially around the efficacy of the use of the preparations, yes. which is a very important conversation to have.
0: And, it, and it's a cost-benefit uh, argument also because these preparations take a significant amount of time, as I understand it, I'm obviously a novice at this, mm-hmm. but uh, to prepare and do you get the reward, you know, the mm-hmm. amplification of that investment of time mm-hmm. and resource?
1: So we could do a whole day just on talking about the biodynamic preparations, but I'm gonna try to talk about it in a really simple way because you can understand the the preparations uh, on a very um, practical level, and then the more you learn about them, the more you can understand them on a more esoteric level, let's say that. Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna just talk about them on a very practical level. There is Preparation 500, which is taking cow manure, putting it in a cow horn, burying it over the winter. There's preparation 501, which is taking silica, putting that in a cow horn, burying it over the summer. Mm-hmm. And then preparation 502 through 508, which are basically herbs, chamomile, valerian, mm-hmm. and sure. those are used as compost amendments. Let me start by saying that well,
0: the- Well, mm-hmm. excuse me for interrupting, but can you, what's the density? So if you've got 1,000 acres, how many of these horns would you need to put in?
1: One. Cow horns worth of manure per acre.
0: Wow! Mm-hmm. So relatively small. I, th- I didn't. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like every ten mm-hmm. feet or something. You know mm-hmm. that, that, that is quite extraordinary because even from a regenerative agriculture perspective, because you wouldn't anticipate that would have much of an impact in an acre. Well, I mean, just what, just
1: you know what exactly. But you know what analogy I like to use for people think about a sourdough starter. Mm-hmm. How much tiny uh. dot. Of sourdough starter will ultimately create endless loaves of bread, mm-hmm. or a inoculant for kombucha. Mm-hmm. How much of that, or a yeast in okay. wine?
0: That makes sense. It's so a catalyst. It's, it's a ca-
1: it's a catalyst exactly. Okay. And I just want to say that you know when you think about the idea of the farmer not being dependent on these chemicals that the chemical companies are trying to save and saying, how can I affect the fertility of my farm, the health of my compost pile, just from the materials I can find on my farm. And then the, these materials were things that farm, farmers already had on their farms. And I would say, just to talk about, I'll just talk about the 500. That when you take, first of all, putting it under the ground in the winter creates a constant temperature it's a refrigerator mm-hmm. where that um, cow manure can uh, age. And when you pull it up and you pull that out of the cow, it smells like chocolate. It's this beautiful material. Mm-hmm. It's put in water. It's dynamitized by creating a vortex with it and really stirring it and then spread on soil.
0: Oh, spread so it doesn't stay there. It's it's sort of uh, baked, so to speak, in, in the oven or frozen yeah. in the oven over the winter and then... Uh, I, I, Added to water. Yeah, I'd ideally, vortexed and yes. uh, spread in uh, some t- compost tea over the property. Sprayed
1: as a tea, and you know, there's. In the, we have research on our website mm-hmm. that shows increased microbial life in the soil based on that. And that's is really not it, surprising when you think about. Is it. Is it ever
0: used as a foil, sp- foliar spray too? That's the silica. The oh, silica so is foliar. Oh, the okay.
1: silica is used as a foliar spray. Okay. And you know, I'm getting ready in my own mind to think. You know, this is how conditioned we are. We're so used to it, you know, it might not be okay, but we accept the notion of these synthetic fertilizers and pesticides and think that, oh, synthetic fertilizer or pesticide, thats nerve gas. It was materials used to make bombs. But the notion that a farmer would take a cow horn and put cow manure in it put it under the ground in the winter where the temperature is consistent, and use it. And that somehow is, well, you know, this woo-woo notion. Yeah, and that, well, it that is because,
0: me. you know, I, I don't think, at least I was never exposed to the second part of the step, which mm-hmm. is to actually put it on a foliage spread. Now, that makes sense. Yeah. Because if it was just stuck in the soil, it's, I mean, those microbes travel, but it's hard to oh, yeah, travel. Yeah, I see what
1: you're saying. You know,
0: hundreds of Feet, yards, you know, so that would be a challenge. But now, now that makes perfect sense. Now, another pragmatic issue is: uh, this, is there a company that makes these preparations where you can buy them, or does it have to be made locally? What we there's one wonderful company called
1: JPI, mm-hmm. and a second that just started called Biodynamic Source, and they make beautiful preparations. Oh,
0: perfect. So that mm-hmm. it, so the actual practical. Challenge of implementing these amendments is relatively minor. It's met. You just have to pick up the
1: yes And what we find like in the path of biodynamic is this continual improvement What we find is biodynamic farmers over a period of time gain confidence using the preparations mm-hmm. Often they'll join a group where they make them together and ultimately, you know start making them themselves okay, But good. there's lots of resources out there. Yeah, and
0: people. it's not as time intensive. as I was thinking I was thinking, you know making hundreds of these cow horns <laughs> filled with, with cow manure, uh, but it's actually, if you have an acre, it's two. Um, and then it's spread, So, and there's resources for it. I'm wondering about another foliar spray, which would be um, minerals extracted from the ocean, and done in what would be, appear to be somewhat biodynamic principles from a vortex, where it actually extracts out the salt sodium mm-hmm. chloride, which is high amounts of sodium and chloride can be toxic to most plants. That's what mm-hmm. they used to kill them sometimes. So I wonder, is that something that's integrated or?
1: Well, again, you know, the notion is self-sufficiency. So yeah. that would be a material, unless you had a farm that was near an ocean. And, yeah. Um, I do. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, well, I'm, that's it. I'm a half a mile away, so. That's right. You do. Yeah. Um, it's not something that would... the. the the standard itself would ask, why are you importing that material, and is there a way that we can address that need out of the, the, the farm system
0: itself? Yeah, and that's a good point, but you know, I could probably make some good arguments why it's useful because mm-hmm. uh, you know, most of the life came from the sea, you know, most all the minerals are there. Mm-hmm. and it's they seem to be a bottleneck in many of the biochemical reactions and you don't know which one it is it's hard I mean unless you do an extensive analysis even then you're playing God because you, have, you know just you know we don't know the whole picture so if when you spray them giving them abundance especially in the leaves at the right time when the stoma are open I mean they could take what they need and the rest is non-toxic so mm-hmm. it's just about as natural as it can be maybe we can do a field study on your farm. yeah I, I I look forward to that I really do I really want to make this a you know, showcase property that's producing food for the community. That's fair. Yeah, I'm really, really, and it, coming back from Gabe, you know, I, I didn't have a scale of the scope of the amount of land that's required to produce, produce it, but, you know, I saw the plot, he, the garden plot he had for, that was feeding four families, and it's relatively small. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the size, and you would know this, maybe you can expand on it, but It shocked me that the size would fit in most people's property already that's loaded with grass. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that big. It doesn't take a lot of space. Yeah. You know, and I know everyone doesn't own a home. I get that. And a lot of people rent, and, you know, it's just impractical for them to do it. But Mm -hmm. then there are community gardens. There are. And then you could participate in that and catalyze your community to this awareness because we can almost be guaranteed that virtually no one there is going to understand this. Right so you can you can be part of the creation regenerative pro- process by spreading this message as information and believe me you are on the leading edge hardly anyone knows this, this is less than 1% of the population mm-hmm. w- would that be fair
1: that knows about biodynamic?
0: Well, they may have heard of it, but really mm-hmm. understand it and understand the principles. Maybe it's up to three or 4% now. <laughs> is it that high? <laughs> I hope so, I don't okay. have any idea. I mean, right. again, I'm just but talking about low. the US. Yeah, you know, we're, we no, of course, a, yeah, we we're have not a lot of work Europe. to do. Yeah. 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 So, and, and I'm really excited to be part of the process to do mm-hmm. that and get behind it because the bottom line is, folks, the organic standard is bastardized. It almost doesn't mean anything now. It's better than nothing, but not much. And this is because of the the integration of corporations and the federal regulatory agencies, and the, and the monopoly they have over those, and how they can pass things through and find loopholes and create them. I mean, you, see, you know, it's so sad to see these companies, these organic, well, maybe not organic companies, but companies committed to health and good food, and and then they sell out. I mean, it, I've seen it so many times in my short career, and you know, they get to a few hundred million dollars in sales and then they cash out, and then mm-hmm. they, oh, they've created the branding, the labeling, mm-hmm. the, the, and the, the people, the awareness of it's a healthy mm-hmm. product, and then it's bastard, it's totally changed. and they, Most mm-hmm. of them just go to non-organic, they never make a big deal, mm-hmm. I and mean, people assume it is. Yeah, I'd like to think that those companies aren't going to be successful
1: as the years go by. You know, the millennials are not fooled. And they really want an authentic story. They really wanna know where their food comes from, how it's made, they really wanna know the values of the company that's representing it. And I think that bodes well for the maturation of the natural food industry. Mm -hmm. I also talk to a lot of natural food companies that understand that in their sustainability initiatives, they have to be thinking in addition to packaging and transportation, Uh, You know what's the the agriculture that stands behind their products, Mm -hmm. and I really think it's a clarion call right now, especially for the natural food industry, to really be focusing on regenerative uh, and biodynamic agriculture, because at the end of the day, they're uniquely suited to address this issue of sequestration in a way that other industries mm-hmm. are not. Yeah. And consumers have so much power in this. Every time you go to the grocery store and spend your uh, your uh, grocery dollars and the foods that you choose, you're voting for those companies. And we could
0: have enormous influence. And we did, yeah. we have been. I mean, it, mm-hmm. uh, Roundup is now poison labeled in California. Mm-hmm. If that isn't a victory, I don't know what is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just, be careful, there's no way the USDA organic label represents regenerative agriculture, and most of those labels are farms that are actually not using cover crops, not integrating holistic herd management, and, and having lots of bare soil on their farms, which is ruining the microbial life in the soil. So, uh, we're actually going to have a line of clothing in the fall of USDA organic, but I think that's a temporary one. Our, our focus and goal is to have it biodynamically certified. To be the really the first. Clothing.
1: Biodynamic textiles really represented in, in the national scale here yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, so we're States. going to be,
0: that's our goal. It's and, really you know, exciting. Yeah, so I mean, we're starting with organic, which is like hardly available anywhere. But I mean, they do have them. But we're working with Marcy, who I interviewed recently, mm-hmm. and uh, she started the first organic textile mill in the, in the United States. And I don't know what the standards for certification, but they, they are, they, it's a different standard in the U.S. It's it's a higher standard that they're using. So great, it's good. So it was a great pleasure to meet you and working with you. And thank you for inspiring me to certify my piece of property to be Demeter certified.
1: Oh, thank you so much. We're we're so grateful for everything that you do, Dr. Marcola. All right. Well,
0: it's it's uh, we can change the world, and you can change the world too by spreading the message. So please do.